Welcome to the OA Light a Candle Meeting Podcast. Visit our website at www.oalaig.org where you'll find several speaker feeds with over 400 speaker files, forms for ordering CDs for these speakers, and a place to donate to keep the special service active. I would now like to introduce our speaker for this evening, Natalie. Hello, I'm Natalie, compulsive reader, and uh, thank you, Michelle, for asking me to speak. I was so nervous to come here and so honored, um, really, and uh, for this meeting, actually, I put together my pictures, which are going around. It took me 12 years to put my pictures together because um, I hated seeing my old pictures. Um, you'll see from the pictures, you know, I just looked so unhappy and depressed and there was no light in my eyes and um, I really struggled with life. Um, to qualify, I started coming to OA when I was 15 years old, so 22 years ago. Um, and I'll go through the steps because I think that's the easiest way to kind of go through all of it. Um, I wasn't born a compulsive overeater. I was actually just a regular person. And then um, at 12 years old, I moved to the U.S. And that's when my compulsive overeating really started going up quickly. Um, and my mom is a big Weight Watchers person, so I thought, you know, if I just do what she does, then that should work. Well, the problem is I would eat, like, you know, the whole desserts and everything all at one time, and that's not what you're supposed to be doing. Um... And in the beginning, it was just a little bit of weight, and ultimately it was 76 pounds. And 76 pounds is not just adolescence, you know. Um, and it got harder and harder, and my life was becoming unmanageable. I mean, when I was in high school, I was watching TV, eating, and um, studying. That was my whole life. You know, people do dating, they go to parties, they do stuff, but... I was too into the food. I was way too into sugar. I'm a hard, hard, hardcore sugar addict. Um, and it's funny because when people see me now, they're like, really? You don't look like it. And it's like, what does looks have to do with anything, you know? <laughs> because give me two months and I'm gaining all my weight back, you know? Um, and when I first came into program when I was 15, I was in high school and there was a book um, they gave around if you're an alcoholic, you go to Alcoholics Anonymous and if you're an overeater go to Overeaters Anonymous and I never heard of OA before I don't have anybody in my family who's in any sort of an anonymous program and uh, I didn't really get the depth of the disease and the problem I just thought I just thought it's like a club you know you go in you do whatever you want and then hopefully you get the results so um, so at that time I didn't have my driver's license my mom used to drive me to meetings and I went to a couple meetings um, a week, and this one woman in OA from the Valley, she's still in OA, she would talk to my mom after the meeting so that I could talk to people after the meeting, and, um, and I did that for a while, and then I thought, you know, this is really not working, and I had a lot of different kind of sponsors, um, and I struggled. I struggled a lot. The first 10 years of my program, I was not abstinent. Um, I've been abstinent for 12 years and four months now. Um, but the first 10 years, I was not abstinent. And I had so many different sponsors, and I went to so many different meetings, and I just thought, like, why is this not working? I just couldn't figure it out. And I finally went to this weekend that was all about relationships, and I realized that 
you know, OA is not just when I feel like it, when the sun is shining, you know, and all that. I have to do OA every day no matter what because I'm never going to be these ages again. I'm never going to be 21, 22, 23, 24. I'm just never going to be these ages again. And um, it's affecting my entire life. And I didn't realize it because I just thought it's just a minor problem. But it was a minor problem that became a much bigger and bigger and bigger problem. Um, and the first step, you know, I've read it so many times. And the problem is that the way I read the step was, you are stupid. That's the way I read the step. <laughs> and that is not what the step says. But that is the way that I read the step, which is why I couldn't get the step because, you know, I didn't think I was stupid. I couldn't understand why this was so difficult, you know. Um, and now when I look at it, it's like I have brown hair. I don't argue with people whether I have brown hair or not. I just have brown hair. I mean, I can change my color hair. But anyways, you know, or I'm 5'2". I can't change my height. Um, I don't argue about it. Whereas regarding overeating, I did not want to be a compulsive overeater. I was really, really angry for a very long time that I was a compulsive overeater because uh, why would anybody want to have this? You know, It's like I felt bad about myself. I was eating nonstop. Um, you know, I lied about what I was eating. I mean, my family could tell when I was overeating. Um, I mean, at that time I was in high school, so I was living with them. Um, my life was really unmanageable. And then when I went to college, I was also overeating. And then with the dorms and everything, as you can imagine, it was just a nightmare. Um... And, you know, once I realized the first step says, you know, we admitted we were powerless over food and I'm powerless over a lot of other things, you know, people, situations, and my life is unmanageable. It doesn't mean that I'm a bad person. It doesn't mean that, you know, there's something wrong with me. I mean, I just have this issue. And, you know, it took me like years, literally years to really, really accept the first step. And once I accepted it, you know, at first I accepted it in my head. And then once I accepted it in my heart, then that's when it really seeped through. And, um, you know, today I'm really grateful I'm a compulsive reader because I wouldn't have found the fellowship and the love and the support, and it's really changed my life. And, you know, I'll talk about it soon. Um, so the first step was just the hardest, hardest step for me. Uh, steps two and three were also really difficult because I just didn't believe in a higher power. Um... I just didn't believe there was one, and I just couldn't understand why this has to be a part of the program, um, you know, and I left many meetings because I thought, I don't need this God part, I'm just here for the food, I just need to lose the weight, and that's it, I mean, I just have a food problem, but now, after all these years, it's like I have a life problem, um, I need to learn how to deal with life better, how to deal with the daily ups and downs that everybody else deals with, but the way I you know, deal with it is by overeating. That's the way I deal with it. Um, and second and third step, my sponsor, my current sponsor, who's been my sponsor for 12 years, maybe 13 years, um, she really helped me. You know, I'm not God, and I just have to turn it over. And when I pray, I don't always know who I'm praying to. And sometimes it feels like I'm just talking to air. But when I pray, something happens, and um, my day goes a lot better. You know, things that are an issue for me, like my character defects and stuff, which I'll talk in the later steps, um, it's just easier to turn things over. Um, 
And I really struggle with step two and three. I still struggle with it. Um, that's one of the things my sponsor is like, make sure you talk about that. So I'll make sure to talk about it, you know, because some people are like, yes, I'm so spiritual now and all that. Well, that's not me. Um, I still struggle with it every single day. And I have to, you know, I talk with my sponsor every day about, you know, turning it over to my higher power and, um, and remember that my higher power is really there for me. Um, yeah, um, and this is after, you know, being abstinent for 12 years and four months, and, you know, just because I'm abstinent doesn't mean, like, now I'm floating on water, and I don't have any problems, and all that kind of stuff, um, but life gets so much better being abstinent and working the program, um, you know, it really does get better every day. Uh, step four, which I just actually finished a really quick step four with my, um, one of my coworkers, is one of the hardest steps. I actually left program because of step four. I had a two-year relapse, which really solved all my problems. <laughs> you know, because I, w- I didn't want to be a part of the cult. And if I left, then I wouldn't have this food issue. Um, and, of course, after I left, it just got worse. Uh, but step four, I didn't want to write an inventory because... Because why would anybody want to do this? <laughs> it's too much work and too much effort and too emotional and, um, yeah, just too much. But when I finally committed myself to, I'm going to work program no matter what because my life depends on it. And once I made that commitment, then I was willing to work through step four through nine, which I wasn't willing to before because they're... Um, you know, it takes a lot of courage and a lot of turning over and being vulnerable and all the things that I find extremely difficult uh, that I wanted to run away from. And step four, um, writing down my um, resentments and fears and all of that. I mean, there's a part in the big book where it says resentment is the number one offender. And I just thought, well, that's nice they write it there, but it doesn't apply to me. Well, after writing many, many resentments, I realized it does apply to me, and I can't afford being resentful. I mean, I just can't. And, um, you know, and step five, reading it to my sponsor, was one of the most healing steps. Um, It was the first time in my entire life where I felt like somebody really sat and listened to how I'm feeling and wasn't critical of, you should feel this way, you should feel that way. And then we wrote... um, with my defects of character, which I honestly didn't think my defects of character were glaring. I just thought, I just didn't think it was a problem, you know. I just didn't even understand why step six and seven were there because, <laughs> I mean, it didn't apply to me, you know. So, um, so I just didn't realize, you know, how big my character defects were playing in my life until we wrote it. And some of the major ones that, you know, took me a long time to realize how they play in my daily life our ego, which I've abs- I actually had a lot of ego coming into this meeting. I was, you know, all my, want- you know, wanting to look good came up. Um, selfishness, self-centeredness, um, judgment, and lack of humility. Um, those are my big ones. I have other ones, but those are the big ones. But I didn't realize how much they really played out in my daily life. And once I did the resentment, you know, read it to my sponsor, wrote out the defects of character, then step eight and nine was... Um, making the amends, and I was so scared of making the amends. Um, I only had a few, but I just, amends take humility, and I didn't want to be humble, you know, and um, 
it was a long process for me to make the amends. I mean, I, I did one at a time. And I worked with my sponsor very closely on them. And I just made amends actually this week. Um, and, you know, the whole program is about humility. And I think for a long time, I confused humiliation and humility. Because when I was in seventh grade, when I moved here, I was made a lot of fun of. I don't think I even looked that different. But kids are really mean. Really, really mean. And um, it was like one humiliating day after the next for like a whole year. And so I never wanted to go through that um, hell again. And, you know, so I thought that's what humility. But humility means that, you know, the world does not revolve around me. And um, to be of service to other people. Um, and it took me a long time to really realize that that's what the program's about. And it's, um, at first it was like, I have to have it because this is a part of the program. But now I want to have it because... Um, I like people who are humble. You know, I like people like my sponsor and other people who have been examples to me in the program. Uh, step 10, I do a step 10 every night, and it really helps me review my day. And one of the things that I'm working with my sponsor, um, which I know she thinks I'm not doing a good job of, and I'm working on it, <laughs> is um, pausing. Pausing during the day when things come up. She'll be like, Natalie, how many times do we have to talk about this? Like, I know, I know, we talked about it, but it's like I have to pause more often during the day when things come up, you know, to turn over my character defects and, um, yeah, to turn over my character defects and then my thoughts, you know, my negative thinking can just take a hold, hold of itself. It's like a whole committee, you know, and to turn that over. I mean, just the other day, I wake up really early, and just the other day at 5 o'clock, I was going into fear. And I thought to myself, this is crazy. It's 5 o'clock in the morning. I've barely even woken up. And my head is like, and I had to turn it over, you know, and just talking to my sponsor has been so helpful. Um, Step 11, I found really difficult. Um, Prayer and meditation. Prayer, for a long time, I just prayed. And even now, a lot of times I pray, and I feel like, Nothing's happening. I'm just praying, but nothing's happening. But, um, you know, when I pray, usually I turn things over and things maybe get just a little bit better. Um, I was talking to somebody today, and she's like, well, you have a little bit more peace, you know, or just like little things that I can see. Um, You know, I expect this like, whoa, you know, magical moment every day of my life, you know, when I pray. And that's not reality. Um... And meditation is something that I just, well, I didn't really understand why anybody would meditate. Mm-hmm. Well, first of all, I never heard of meditation where I grew up. I, I mean, I, I never heard of it. Um, <laughs> you know, it just didn't exist. I never met anybody who meditated. And I just thought, like, I, I don't know. I just thought people like Mother Teresa meditates. I mean, you know, normal people, why would they do that? I mean, you know, so, um, so I was... I just didn't see the point of it, and then somebody um, came to my work, and she did a meditation workshop, and I thought, this is going to be such a bunch of baloney, you know, but I have to be here because I'm the one putting it together, so, <laughs> you know, I thought, okay, let's just get through this, so it, we had, it was a meditation workshop for three, uh, three hours, and it was about seven, eight years ago, and it was so powerful, I was actually able to sit still and be quiet. And it wasn't a bunch of baloney. It was really um, healing. It's what I wanted from food. I wanted to get the high from sugar all the time. 
and to have peace of mind. And, you know, I, I'm getting that from meditation now. I've actually, after um, she came to my work, I've been very, very involved in meditation classes for the last six, seven years. And, you know, meditation for me is something that um, it took me like six and a half years of being in meditation classes to finally do meditation on my own in the morning every day. And it's so important because I'm one of those people who, like, you know, is very um, nervous and anxious, and I like that routine, you know, the routine of doing meditation and knowing, you know, this is my time in the morning to be quiet. Um, And the funny thing is, you know, all the stuff that I was doing, my family thought that I'm really nuts, and they started doing a lot of the stuff that I'm doing, and they really like it, (laughs) so it's like, who would figure? Um... And then step being of service. You know, being of service in no way um, took me a long time to like it. I used to think sponsoring was just a big chore, and why would anybody want to do it? Um, and then listening to people every day. And now, you know, I really like it. I really, really like it. Um, and I wanted to talk about what my day looks like every day. Uh, I abstain from sugar and white flour. And in the mornings, I get up. I do my OA reading or writing, um, ask my higher power to turn over my, my will over to him, um, you know, take a shower and all that, and then I do 10 minutes of meditation. Um, and then on my way to work, I talk to my sponsees and sponsor. I talk to my sponsor every day. I've had the same sponsor for for a long time. Um, and then during the day, you know, pray. Of course, I don't always remember to do that. Um, go to at least three meetings a week. Um, and let's see what else. I've worked through the steps about seven times now, and, you know, every time I'm learning more and more and more about myself. The steps are um, just life-changing, and I thought, well, after one time, I'm just going to be recovered. Yeah, right. I mean, after all this time, I'm still, I still still have a lot to go, you know, um, Certain areas in my life have really improved being in program, and certain areas I'm still working on. Um, and one of the other things I wanted to talk about is that just because I'm abstinent doesn't mean life doesn't happen. And life has really happened in the last few years. Um, a year ago, my sister and my four nephews moved back to Israel, which was extremely difficult because I was very close to them, and I have four nephews. Um, and that was really hard to, you know, abstain and walk through all of that family drama. Um, two years ago, my sponsor was re-diagnosed with stage 4 cancer, breast cancer, and I wasn't sure how long she was going to live for, and um, I was really angry. I was really angry for about a year, and, you know, through her example, and she's still alive, thankfully she's, you know, doing better, uh, but she'll always have it, um, but she really taught me how to still turn it over and believe in a higher power even through all of the stuff that she's gone through which is like hell and back really I I can't imagine going through all of that um, but still being in program and still working through all of that while going through it to me is just like you know if I think I'm having a bad day it's like other people have to go through much much bigger things um, you know a few years ago I went through Within a three-month period, uh, a breakup and a um, changing careers at the same time, 
And that was really difficult, being abstinent no matter what. I think at the end of the day, it's like I have to be abstinent no matter what happens in life. And life has challenges, and I used to think, well, it's only me, but it's like everybody has challenges. It's all about how, um, you know, you deal with it. And my way of coping with it, with it was, was food. You know, it was just food. And, you know, I have to really hold on to the program and the meditation classes. They really, really help me um, deal with life better. And then also outside, you know, outside support. Um, what I want to finish up and then I'll open it up for questions is, you know, if you're struggling, I struggled for a long time. And it wasn't pretty. I had many, many, many slips. Um, I just couldn't figure out. I couldn't get it together. And I remember my sponsor asked me, well, what do you think you need to do differently? Because you keep on slipping, you don't get 30 days, and, you know, it's been going on for, it happened almost 10 years, for almost 10 years. And I realized that two things that I needed to change were giving up white flour, which I was very, very, very resistant to. I just thought only crazy people would do that. <laughs> and, um, really, I, I really did. I just thought, there is no way, there's no way. And then the other thing was making three phone calls every day. And the reason for me, and I still make three phone calls every day, the reason for me it's so important is to make these phone calls is because I want to isolate. I don't want to talk about what's really, really going on. And I cannot be abstinent and isolate at the same time. It is just not possible. I've tried it too long. Um, you know, for me, if I'm having a great day, Great. It's easy to call somebody. If I'm having a hard day, okay, it's my... But over time, it becomes easier to call people and talk about what's going on. And that's been very instrumental for me because I cannot be abstinent and pretend like I don't have feelings about things, you know, because I always... There's always stuff that's going on. Um, and sometimes it's bigger stuff than other stuff. Um, so I think I'll open it up for questions. And thank you again for Michelle Francis. <laughs> What's my favorite meeting and why? Mm, I think my favorite meeting is the Friday night meeting, uh, 6.45 p.m. in Santa Monica, because I go to fellowship beforehand with a couple of people for dinner. And then um, and then the meeting, there's just a lot of recovery. And I think by, by the end of the week, I'm tired and emotionally just helps me, like, kind of like, you know. And I also used to think, who would be crazy enough to go to a meeting on a Friday night? <laughs> like some people have things to do in their life, and now I'm the one who's going to a meeting every Friday night. So. How do I do my 10th step at night? I do the A-E-I-O-U, which I know a lot of people have heard of. Um, a, you know, what I'm going to eat tomorrow. E, did I exercise today? I, what did I do for myself? O, what did I do for others? U, what are my underlying feelings? Um... Why, you know, something good that happened today. Uh, then I write a gratitude list, like at least three things. And then you, uh, what I'm uncomfortable about. So hopefully, I don't know if I talked too quickly to say all of that. But you got it? Okay. But that really helps me. And then um, sometimes just free writing, you know, about what I'm feeling about. Um, I mean, in the beginning, the first years of my program, I had a lot, a lot of feelings. I mean, I had really strong feelings. Um, and working through the steps has really helped to... I mean, I still have strong feelings, but I used to be... I used to be angry every single day. And now I'm angry every so often, but not every day. So, yeah. That's a really good question. The question was, what does it mean to me to turn something over? 
For me, it means that I'm not in charge. You know, control is a big issue for me. And to pray and turn it over 10 minutes, okay, and say I'm not in charge and to talk about it with my sponsor, um, like one of the things that I do to um, to turn over is to kneel on my knees. And that's something that I didn't used to think do. And I used to think, that is so strange. Why would anybody want to do that? Um... But that to me shows that I'm turning it over, that I'm not, I'm not God. Um, but it took me a long time to really do it and under, you know, and feel it. So if you're new, um, and I know there are a lot of newcomers here, um, pray whether you feel like it or not. I mean, it took me a long time to feel like it even made a difference. I was like, I'm just talking to air. But when I quote unquote talk to air, then my day was going a lot better because I wasn't trying to control everybody and everything. And I didn't go to the food to solve my problems. Um, I mean, I remember going through the first holiday seasons were really, was really, really hard. Um, you know, I mean, the first two years of my abstinence, food called my name a lot. I white-knuckled it a lot. And um, it wasn't pretty. It was, I don't want to ever go through that again. And um, turning it over, talking to my sponsor, talking to other pe- people, you know, doing fellowship. I mean, I had to really work program because, um, you know, the disease is always there, waiting, always, always waiting. And if I think, oh, yeah, everything's fine, then something happens, whether it's a disappointment for life, from life or, you know, when my sponsor told me that she got re-diagnosed or, you know, just life happening. It's... Um, you know, if I don't make OA the number one thing in my life, and abstinence in my higher power, I will relapse and my life will be hell again. And um, and I'm not saying it to scare people. I'm just saying it because that's the truth for me, and I have to remember it every day because it's not just an extra thing of sugar. The last time I had sugar, it was a two-year relapse that I could barely get back to the rooms. Yeah, absolutely. Um, the question was, can I talk about my food plan and how that's changed over my recovery? Well, in the beginning, I used to eat three meals, and they were, like, really big. I mean, I don't know how I even call them three meals. But anyway, I called them three meals. And, um, you know, because I have to start somewhere. My sponsor, when I started program up in Berkeley, um, my sponsor said, just, just start somewhere, you know. So three meals. And I would tell her my food. And then ultimately, um, it took me six months to give up sugar, which I was not willing to give up because I didn't think I had a problem with sugar. And then, um, but I felt guilty talking to her every day, and she's taking, you know, so much time over, you know, over morning, and here I am complaining about sugar, but I'm not willing to give up sugar. And I was living in the dorms at that time, so you can imagine how much sugar is in the dorms. Um, And then, ultimately, I was willing to give up white flour, which was another step, and willing to give up, like, I don't, I no longer also eat, like, nuts, popcorn, chips, anything that comes from a bag that you can just grab. Um, I tried all of that, and I just can't have one. It just, it's too difficult. Um, and now I eat three meals and two snacks. I tell my sponsor what I eat. Um, and I'm working on eating more vegetables. I know I should be eating more green vegetables. And let's see. Um, I don't have that fight with food all the time like I used to. Like, I remember one of the things that I used to eat um, were... But these different things that were like, well, there were yellow foods, yellow light foods. And I wasn't willing to give them up because 
because, I mean, why would anybody want to give that up? But, but I had to give it up because they were yellow light foods and then they became red light foods. So I have to be very honest with myself and my sponsor about what I'm eating. And I still tell her my food every single day. And even if I change a fruit, to me it's not about telling the food. It's about being rigorously honest. I have to be rigorously honest every single day because, um, especially during holidays, and there are a lot of holidays, um, sometimes I can eat bigger meals and it used to be a real problem and now it's gotten better because I've talked about it with my sponsor so many times that I don't want to talk again about how, you know, how Passover meal was. So, um, so just, you know, it's become more normal because how many times do I want to talk about the same thing? Um, so anyways, hope that hopefully that answers your question. Okay, the question is, what is my experience of how my um, body, of my image of my body over the time of recovery? Um, you know, when I look at those pictures, when I first started, I mean, I just couldn't even look at the mirror. I mean, it was, that's why it took me 12 years to put those pictures together. Um, I just, you know, I, I really didn't like my body. Um, I can't say I'm in complete self-acceptance, but I can say that I like myself a lot more than I used to. Um, I think for me the bottom line is I can't focus on myself too much because me, 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 just, you know, it's like a whole conversation. And I have to be of service and get out of myself. And, um, you know, I get reminded of that all the time because the more I think about me, the more it doesn't solve anything. The more I think of how I can help somebody else, um, then I forget about me, and then I'm much happier, you know. So that's been kind of my, um, yeah, my thing. Uh, the question was, what's my relationship with my higher power, and um, if I was religious before and all that. Um, well, I grew up in Israel, and, you know, obviously it's a Jewish country, but I was never religious. And I used to go to Orthodox synagogues, and I always felt left out because, you know, in Orthodox synagogues, men and women are separated. And we only went there because, I asked my parents why we went there, and we went there because they felt comfortable there because that's the way their parents did it. And But we weren't religious, so I always felt out of place, and I never felt like, like it, it really called to me. And then... Um, you know, then we moved here, and, you know, I still do all the holidays. I'm not very religious. Um, and actually, I became more spiritual working with my sponsor. And my sponsor is, um, she's very religious, and she's very spiritual. But And, uh, you know, she goes to church twice a week, and she just believes that her higher power, you know, like going through this time. I mean, she has gone through hell and back. I really you know, feel bad for her, um, but, you know, she's a trooper, she's, she's really, uh, going strong, um, but she's, she believes in a higher power no matter what, and, and in this case, she doesn't, you know, she doesn't even know if she's going to be alive tomorrow, um, and while working with her has helped me believe in a higher power, um, I'm still not very religious, and the irony of ironies is that my sister became a, an Orthodox Jew, <laughs> like seven years ago, so now all my nephews are orthodox, my brother-in-law is orthodox, um, so I'm, I'm still not very religious, but I'm much more spiritual, and um, I think the most connection I have is when I talk to my sponsor, because she just, no matter what, she believes in a higher power, and um, yeah, yeah, okay.
think I am done. Well, thank you so much.